Thank you for coming to the podcast. It's Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it's brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Sisu makes the best mouthguard for high-impact sports or activities. So if you do something like, I don't know, MMA, submission grappling, wrestling, you're going to want to check out a Sisu Mouthguard. It's more protection, less mouthguard. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink, all with the mouthguard in your mouth. Head on over to sisuguard.com. Tell them Top Turtle sent you. Sisu Mouthguards brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. We are rolling. I am David Tremonti. I am joined by my co-host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and it is the day after UFC 211. So much action in Dallas. Thank you for coming to the show. If you're new to us, here's the quick summation. We're two fight fans who love talking fights. We try to keep it strictly about the fight business, nothing about our lives or our day or lollygagging and horsing around and LOLing like some other MMA podcasts try to do. We mean business here. So Gumby, let's mean some business and get right into breaking down these fights last night before we talk to surging middleweight Robert Whitaker in the main event of UFC 211, you had Stipe Miocic knocking out Junior Dos Santos for his second title defense. Your thoughts? Oh, I mean, I just think it went exactly as planned for Stipe Miocic. If you watched his first fight with Dos Santos, not that he doesn't move forward a lot, but there were patches where I think he sort of lost that like pure aggression and he's moving backwards. And it could have been because he got tagged. This one just went 100% to plan. It's two and a half minutes of him moving forward and hitting Dos Santos. I mean, the only thing that maybe he would have liked to do to to make it an absolutely perfect performance is maybe check one or two of those leg kicks. Because it seemed like, and I mean, if you watch the card top to bottom, there were, what, eight people from American Top Team on it. And it seemed like a lot of them were using that leg kick. Like, that was the the new technique of the week at ATT. Well, I'll say this. I thought within about a minute, Stipe uh, either smelled blood or had his timing, and it was just stalking him and just a matter of time at that point. Junior Dos Santos in the large picture is now 4-4 four and four in his last eight, trading wins back and forth. I don't know if the Cane Wars destroyed this man. He obviously looked great against Ben Rothwell last uh, year, last April. But to me, you know, and I said this in our preview, I'll pat myself on the back, it just sort of felt, just a feeling, Stipe's on the way up and JDS is on the way down. Yeah, in and I, th- I think that's true. And, and if you were looking to point to something, and, and obviously I'm not his coach, you know, the, the people who coach him are, are far smarter than I am when it comes to MMA, but it seems like he's almost outthinking himself, right? Like, he went in there with a very clear game plan that he was going to hack away at Stipe's legs for a while, and he seemed very happy afterwards when he was interviewed about how kicking out his legs went. But to me, you're in a heavyweight fight with dudes who weigh 240, 250, 260 pounds. Don't get me wrong. You you want to slow him down a little bit. But a lot of times in those fights, it only takes 60 seconds or 90 seconds. Or in this case, what was it, 150 seconds? <laughs> I, I mean, like, you, you can't sit there and chop away at him because he throws punches hard enough to hurt you right away. So I do want to talk about Stipe and his place in history. Ties the record for two title defenses. <laughs> and now I know. What, hey, a, what a record. <laughs> heavyweight division is madness, baby. Um, Any, any punch can end a fight. But... I think it would be just so incredible 
if for Stipe to break that record and have three title defenses, if he went against Kane, who has been that flag bearer and the the person people point to as the top of the heavyweight division of this decade, that's the next fight I want to see. What do you think? I, I want to see that fight, too. I'm a little bit worried that they're not going to give that to Kane just because he's been hurt so often. Um I also want to say Kane looked so good last summer against Travis Brown. He, he did, but again, that's the last time we've seen him, right? He'll he'll be a, at least a year off before he can fight for a title. Okay, so let's say me and you are sitting around the new UFC headquarters in Vegas playing matchmaker, and uh, I say to you, it's got to be Kane. You're countering with who? Who Who is it then? I mean, and it's hard to do this, too. I would say the only other logical choice is Derek Lewis here with a win. Uh, Derek Lewis beats Mark Hunt down in, in New Zealand. I mean, I, I think that that's the one signature win he needs on there. He's got to win over Travis Brown, too. And I just think that he seems like a, a guy who's on the way up. On that same note, I will Francis give you, Francis Naganu. Yeah, Francis Naganu's in there, too. Um, he, I think he needs one more mm-hmm. yeah, um, sure. fight in there, too. I think both, if you're going to make a case for Naganu or Lewis, I think you're right. They both need one more. Does Lewis beating an aging... Uh, angry Mark Hunt do it for me? Not really. I would but, also but who say... who else could he beat have, to do it for you, though? Uh, what about former champion uh, Fabricio Verdum? He's already booked with with uh, Overeem. Well, would you give it to Verdum with a win over Overeem? That would make probably the most sense. If you're yeah, not going to give it to I, I would, Kane... I would probably give it to Verdum over Overeem, but say Overeem beats... Verdum, you don't give over him another no, shot. Yes, right? they already beat him. And he, and he pounded his head into the ground. Um, well, we'll let the the matchmakers figure out that MMA math. I think it should be Kane, uh, but we'll see. I hope what, it's Kane. Yeah, I hope it's Kane. It, the monumentalness of that would make it. And, you know, just over the top. And his health is always a factor. Now, in the co-main event, you had Joanna Yanjacek, uh defending her title for the fifth time. Very impressive fashion. Won all five rounds. I think one judge gave her a, a 10-8. I don't know what round it was in, but they gave him a t- her a I'll 10-8. have the intern look at that right now. But just a, it's what you'd expect from Joanna. A striking clinic. Got a little worried in the first round when uh, Andrade nailed that takedown. But um, Joanna got right back up. Her uh, takedown defense is really the story of this surge to me. Because if you remember in her first fight against Gedalia, or that might have been her second UFC fight, she got taken taken down a lot. It's really one of the most vulnerable times we've seen her. She has corrected that like no one I've ever seen. I would actually say her and Conor McGregor, too, his takedown defense is out of this world at this point in his career and it allows him as a striking master to implement his game plan same thing for me with Ioana when I see Ioana I think of Connor a lot because the takedown defense leads to her just lighting people up on the feet yeah it it seems a little bit too you know I, I I didn't think Connor as a connection to me the connection was Chuck Liddell Chuck Liddell used to stop people from taking him down, and then you had to box with him, and nobody wanted to box with him back in the day. It's the same thing now with Jan Jacek. Who would want to stand and trade with Jan Jacek right now? <laughs> but you don't have a choice. You have to to box with her. In, in her use of angles, in her movement, the way she was squaring her shoulders against Andrade so that no matter what side Andrade attacked on, she could get her back off the cage, it, it was just a clinic in every freaking way. It absolutely was. And what I think is awesome is, so Rousey had six title defenses. Joanna, with one more title defense, will tie Rousey. And I'm going to say something a little controversial here, Gumby. I think, with one more impressive win, I think what Yo- I think Joanna's run 
is actually more impressive than Rousey's. I, I find it. I already find it more uh, impressive than Rousey's, and it's because of something we talked about on a show recently. Is the state of women's divisions right now is stronger? Is as better? Is, is as good as it's ever been? And, and I was going to say, so uh, quality of competition is where I go with it because the people Joanna has beaten, she beat Carla Esparza, who is a championship wrestler. Okay, that kind of uh, lines up with let's say Rousey beating Sarah McMahon. But then you go through some of those other Rousey wins. You know, Alexis Davis. Doesn't overly impress me. You know, Katzengano felt a little freakish, like Cat rushed in. I would have loved to have seen a real fight, quote-unquote, Cat versus Rousey. Now, the best striker Rousey ever faced was Holly Holm. What happened? Got destroyed. The best striker Joanna ever faced was Carolina Kowalkowicz. Who's a, who's a beast. Who's a beast yeah. and took a round off of her, I think, the fourth round in their fight. But Joanna still came out and won. I find the quality of competition that Joanna has beaten in these title defenses is higher than Rousey going out there and beating Betch. And and I also think that you know the the argument for this one for a lot of people who are still arguing on the Rousey side, whatever people are out there doing that, are, are probably people who are saying, "Well, she finished fights, and in Joanna's not necessarily finishing them." That that's because. Rousey was a submission specialist. The odds of two 135-pound women submitting each other, fairly high. The odds of two 115-pound <laughs> women knocking each other out, there's just not the body mass to knock somebody out. You could say the same about 115-pound men. The odds of there being a knockout in that division is low. You know, And you, know, you can't take that away from a striker because in all of these fights, she's dominating all the time. I do want to step back a second. The intern has pulled it up. Actually, all three judges gave her the fourth round as a 10-8. Gave Joanna the fourth round as a 10-8. Nope, I'm looking at the Claudia Gedalia fight. Let's take that back. <laughs> the intern, i.e. me, has really messed up. That Here's what I'm gonna so fired. He is. Here's <laughs> what I'm going to ask you while I, I relook that up. Uh, who does Joanna face next for you? I, I think it's got to be Rose Namajunas. I know she's already had her title shot. I just think from the time where she fought Carla Esparza for the belt to now, she's just 150% different of a fighter. She her, her mental game is better. She's learning how to use distance better. She's far more competitive than she ever was. Do I think she can beat John Jacek? No, I don't think any 115-pound woman can beat John Jacek. But she's super marketable. She's on a great run. Why not put her in that I'm Not going to argue with you. I agree completely. And uh, I think Kowalkowicz already had her shot and is fighting Gedalia, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and, 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 and either of those two could get a second shot. But do you really want to watch Gedalia and John Jacek? Three. I do, but I, I, not yet. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. fine with making Gedalia work for it. Uh, it was the fourth round that, regardless, now I'm looking at the right fight on MMADecisions.com. <laughs> and it was just one rep. And it was one just, judge, just yeah. one judge, not three. Okay, now, uh, in the third from the top, you had Damian Maya beating Jorge Masvidal uh, via split decision, and it has now been announced that he will get the next title shot at Tyron Woodley. Your thoughts? I mean, he, he deserved it before he fought Masvidal, and then... Uh, Masvidal, you know, put in a great performance, though. I, I feel like Masvidal's stock goes up with this fight, He's a too. tough guy. He's tough to finish. Absolutely. Demian Maia said it was one of the best grapplers he ever fought, which, to me, is, you know, just an absolutely... This is a guy who grew up just fighting in the streets of Miami. Yeah. He was, like, featured in the movie Dog Fights or whatever that was, like that whole backyard brawl scene. He was, like, in the same thing with Kimbo, and now you have Damian Maya saying he's, he's a, the, one of the best grapplers amazing. he's ever grappled. It, it's an amazing turnaround, and, and to me, he's still really up there in that division of split decision loss. 
even though I had it definitely to Demian Maya. Well, when you have that much back control, right? Yeah, I, I don't think you can have somebody's back. I mean, somebody can probably calculate how much back he had, but mentally, I was saying it was damn close to ten minutes of back control. Of back in control. A I mean, he had fight, like right. he had like four minutes in the first round. He had like two and a half in each of the other rounds. I, I think it's damn close to nine minutes on somebody's back. How do you lose a fight being nine minutes on somebody's back? I, I can't imagine how you would judge it that way. Sing it, sister. Now, I don't think we have anything else to say other than finally we're happy he gets his title shot absolutely okay uh now we had a very interesting fight here frankie edgar uh beat yair rodriguez heading into the third round after frankie just put on a 10 minute clinic of ground and pound uh the doctors called it because of yair's eye thought there was going to be a little controversy like they were giving him too much time but no we got the call right the fight should have stopped just because I think Yair even said he had pressure on the eye or he couldn't yeah, see. Yeah, he said his eye felt like it was bulging out or something okay. like that. Okay, so you know maybe the Just Bleed guy in the stands is unhappy at that, but it was the right call. Frankie, you know, it, it was his uh, a well-earned victory. I'm going to kick it to myself on this. We've talked about the development of Yair. He's fun to watch. He's like a video game. He obviously took a massive step up in competition from the Alex Caceres's of the world and, you know, the 80-year-old BJ Penns. Uh, that being said, and this pains me to say it, Gumby, pains me, as a Jits guy, in modern MMA, in today's UFC, you cannot be that comfortable working off your back. No, no, absolutely not. And you know what, too? He can be that comfortable working off his back against Alex Caceres. Mm-hmm. You know, because Alex Caceres is not one of the great MMA wrestlers of all, all time. Right. And also, by the way, someone who's trained with uh, Almeida and Henzo, and I assume is probably a black belt regardless, and Frankie Edgar... It just, he's seen it, you know, all right, was the knee bar exciting? Yes, I was jumping out of my chair. But, but did Frankie ever look no, worried? Not he really. He no. looked calm, he looked like he understood the position, and he looked like he was ready it, to drop box. Here's the message I would uh, kind of try to get convey to people. If you're gonna bring a very jits-heavy game to modern MMA, it's gotta be that Damian Maya, I take you down. I, I, I'm, I'm on you this. on yeah I'm on you like a backpack not oh you want to take me down and I'm I'm complacent to lie on my back and try to throw up a couple of triangle attempts while you punch my face for 10 minutes that's what's going to happen over and over again he, he's definitely got to take a page out of Yoani on Jacek's book if he wants to be that flashy dangerous striker he's got to stop strike. people from taking him <laughs> yeah. down so that he can strike because I mean, he was only on his feet for a little bit against Frankie. Right. Uh, and, you know, he threw some things that I was like, oh, that's interesting. Some wild shit, everything but the kitchen sink kind of stuff, yeah. But he's got to be on his feet long enough to implement that game plan. Right, absolutely. So I think uh, we just did some hindsight 2020 uh, Monday morning coaching for Yair. I, I think we said that last show, though, too, to be fair. The dude's too comfortable on his back. Um, And, you know, it was a huge step up in competition. He will be back. We also, just side note while we're talking about the division, you know, you have Holloway and Aldo there. I think if, and we already said this, if Holloway wins, then it's Frankie Edgar's shot. If Aldo wins, you're not going to match up Frankie for a third time. Might be Cub Swanson's shot. Um, uh, not bad. And then obviously Duhu Choi, you said, was fighting um, uh, Andre Feely. Andre Feely. So Duhu Choi, hopefully he'll get back in the win column. You still have some exciting guys in that 145-pound division between Duhu Choi, Yair. These are young fighters that are still growing into their career. Mm-hmm. One loss did not stop the likes of, let's say, GSP. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the future's still very bright for him. Um, and then you had one boring frickin' fight. David Branch defeated Christoph Jocko by split decision. I, you, do you want to say anything about 
about this? I mean, you can mostly skip over it. I mean, Branch did what he was supposed to do. He, he went out and won the fight. All right. It wouldn't be a, uh, a UFC in 2017 without some uh, no-contest drama. Uh, Eddie Alvarez uh, versus Dustin Poirier was such an exciting fight, for sure headed for fight of the night. Poirier won the first round, uh, was seemingly... Winning the second round, then Alvarez is just a pinata that Freaking does not robot. break. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I had moments in there where I was like, "Wow, Connor broke him!" But wait, no, he's not going down. This guy's yeah, he's a cyborg. He just keeps coming at you, um, and then makes a comeback and ended up kneeing Poirier in the head twice, both illegal knees by new rules. But Texas was under the old rule system. It was chaos, and you had a no contest. Yeah, I, I think um, so. It was kind of weird when I watched the first knee. In real time, I thought it was very similar to the uh, Musasi Weidman knee that he picked his hand up when he hit. If you watch in super slow motion, he didn't pick his hand up when he hit. The hit picked his hand up. So, uh, yeah, they're both illegal. I don't know how that winds up a no contest unless... The referee was thinking what I thought watching it in real time. Yeah. Run it back, UFC. Eddie Alvarez versus Dustin Poirier 2. Let's watch it again. Okay. Jason Knight, friend of the show, defeated Chaz Skelly, TKO in the third round. Awesome. Yeah. What a beast. And you have to say one of the coolest things about it, too, was the rubber guard action in the first and second round. I mean, it looked like he had Gogo Plata's and Omo Plata's finished only to end the fight with his hands. I mean, just a complete performance by... A very young prospect, too. You know, you forget he's only 24 years old. Four and one in the UFC. Chase Sherman and Rashad Coulter had the fight of the night at heavyweight, uh, and Chase Sherman uh, got the KO in the second round. Yeah, what an insane fight. Coulter fought for almost the entire second round on one leg, and I thought he had the knockout two or three times before he ate that elbow. If you didn't get a chance to watch that fight and you love watching big dudes just slug with mindless slugging, just go ahead and watch that again on Fight Pass because it's so good. Mindless slugging. You want to mention anyone else before we kicked our interview with Robert Whitaker? No, nah, I think those are the, the big ones there. I mean, James Vick looked really good again, but uh, I feel like with the, the competitive matchup of Polo Reyes, I, I expected him to do that. All right. Well, we got a chance to catch up with surging middleweight Robert Whitaker. This, of course, was taped before the announcement that uh, Yoel Romero will most likely be getting the interim t- or sorry, the next title shot against Michael Bisping. Dana White has since called off the GSP fight, which, you know, we spoke about with Robert Whitaker because at the time, four days ago, it was a massive news story that this was going to make us wait for that fight. Dana White did the right thing. It's still interesting to hear Robert Whitaker talk about the middleweight division nonetheless. So we will play that interview for you right now. Uh, and it is brought to you by Datsusara. Datsusara makes fight gear out of hemp. It's super durable. It's antimicrobial. Head on over to dsgear.com. Check out their fight shorts. I roll in them all the time. I love them. They also make hemp geese if you're a gee guy or a gee gal. Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with Robert Whitaker. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with Top Turtle MMA Podcast on Flow Combat, and I have the pleasure today of speaking with Top middleweight contender fresh off of his UFC win over Jacare Souza, Robert Whitaker. Robert, uh, it's impossible right now to talk to a middleweight contender uh, without talking about the obvious state of the, the middleweight title picture. You've got GSP, who's supposedly challenging for a title. Now he's saying he can't fight until October. Do you feel that he is unfairly, or even in that case, fairly holding up the division? 
Yeah, you know, I, I'd have to go with you know I, I love George St Pierre. You know, I'm a huge fan of his, and he's a, he's a great he's a great dude on a personal level. Um, but I, I I do I do think he's he's holding up the division. Uh, the division has been put on a standstill. You know, none of these guys who have worked so hard, myself included, to get to that to get that to to get to that contender spot uh, can go anywhere. We we have no we have no room to move. We have no. We have no way of moving forward towards that, that belt, towards that title shot. And, um, you know, we're just sitting here twiddling our thumbs while, while he jumped the queue and is now holding up the division. Absolutely. And, and so Luke Rockhold recently took to an interview on a, a different podcast, and he said that all of the middleweights should just kind of sit pat and do what's right until the UFC steps up and puts a title on the line that actually means something. What are your thoughts on Rockhold's comment about potentially, you know, Basically, holding the uh, the middleweight division hostage. <laughs> yeah, um, that's the funny thing about strikes. You know, unless you can get everybody on board, they don't work. Um, he, you know, he says a lot of he says a lot of true things. He he, he speaks a lot of truth. Uh, and, and you know, I, I do I do actually I do believe a lot of a lot of things that he said. In the fact that um, my my goal, my sole objective is to get that middleweight belt, is to become the champion of the middleweight division. And um, that's been my objective since day dot, and that's how I've worked my way up to where I need to be. You know, a lot of people misunderstood what I said, saying that I was going to sit out for until the belt just fell into my lap. That's not what I'm doing. You know, I love fighting. I want to fight. I'd love to fight Yol. I'd love to fight Luke Rockhold. But the thing is, at this point in time, with the division the way it is, <laughs> Why? What's the point in, in fighting each other and fighting these hard fights that can, you know, make or break you when there is nowhere to go? There's there's no title shot coming up. There's there's no incentive to fight, you know. Especially for the position that I'm in now. It's um oh, you know, the earliest I'd be looking at a title fight would be what, a year from now. And <laughs> that, that's that's crazy. Yeah, that absolutely is crazy, and you're you're hundred percent right if they are waiting that long. So if that is the case, if they're not going to put the middleweight title on the line until GSP goes at it in October or even November, because he said at least October, then what is next for you? Are you looking for another fight or are you willing to sit out a year? You know, I don't want to sit out for a year. It's I don't think anyone does, really. Um, I, I love fighting. You know, that's what, that's what I love doing. It's my passion. Um, I'm hoping... Something happens in the division that uh, that 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 makes it flow again. You know, I'm hoping for either uh, an interim t- uh, title fight or um, or anything. You know, anything that happens so that uh, so that the division gets some flow in it. You know, that's that's moving again. Um, but as for me, you know, I, I definitely don't want to wait out a year. That's that's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, that's a lot. But um. Yeah, that's a that's a long, long time. But um, you know, I I have no problem waiting out waiting out five or six months because um, you know, if you look at my last fights, that's how long I've had in between every fight anyway. Because I have a lot of things outside the octagon that I'm trying to focus on. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get into peer mentoring and corporate coaching with TAFE New South Wales. Uh, I'm working with Indigenous programs and trying to start a, uh, my own Gracie gym. You know, I'm I'm doing things outside of the octagon that are you know require my attention. Mm. But um, 
but you know, first and foremost, my passion and, and, and my career is, is fighting. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, you kind of mentioned it there. You said, you know, you have no incentive to step out. And then you went ahead and mentioned the interim titles. It, it seems to be the, the trend in the UFC right now that they're going to interim titles when they have these mega fights coming up. You know, Connor had a mega fight. All of a sudden there was an interim title. There's interim titles popping up everywhere. An interim title, is that enough to get you you there? Because, you know, Nate Diaz came out and said interim titles are not real. Other people see him just as, as valuable as the real deal. Is an interim title enough to get you into the cage again? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. It's um, Everyone has their own mentalities and opinions on, on the interim title fights. Um, and then neither right nor wrong. Uh, that I'm already on the fence. Like, I love fighting I, you know i'm already i'm already halfway there if you if you put something shiny in front of me oh, you'll get me <laughs> <laughs> i like that i like that a lot um so let's let's talk about that because you know it's a very real possibility i mean bisping's already said you're probably the most deserving challenger out there uh you know obviously gsp hasn't done much to be deserving he said you finished jacare while yoel did not and uh you have a pop for steroids so uh two extra notches on your belt there if it does come down to an interim title fight let's talk about some potential opponents here so yoel romero uh you know he's a guy who's popped for steroids um but by all accounts he's you know the the 1a challenger right next to you is a fight with yoel romero uh something that would interest you yeah definitely you know um it's he's he's number one contender right now and um gee if, if if the interim belt's on the line, then you know I, I, I want his I want his scalp. You know what I mean? That's yep. uh that that's where I'm heading. My my goal, you know, I said it before. My goal is to head towards that belt to becoming middleweight champion of the world. And um, if they they put that interim belt on the line, he's he's my ticket in there. You've said you know the interim title definitely gets you off the couch no matter what. And, and with GSP being held out or you know holding out that that division for a while is that the only thing that gets you off the the couch though or is an exciting fight with yoel romero get you there or um you know anderson silva is you know half retired half the time but is a a fight with anderson silva (laughs) enough to get you going (laughs) i like how you say he's he's half retired half the time (laughs) yeah he he really is he's like uh, i like him um and yeah it's 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 hard man you know Without an interim belt on the line, and with with George holding up the division, and so the earliest the earliest title fight you'll see is in a year's time. Uh, these are hard fights, man. <laughs> you yeah. know these are these are hard fights. Injury is real, longevity, career is real, mm-hmm. and um, why? You know that that's what I want. That's that's my biggest question is why why fight yo why fight Luke? Like, <laughs> you know, I think Luke said that Luke Luke summed it up really well. It's uh, where where do we go from there? Yeah. You know what I mean. It's um, I I beat Yol. I'm in the same position I am now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but with some more scars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. We the the division needs some some blood in it, man. It needs some needs to start flowing again. And I think the only way to do that is with uh, you know, either an interim belt or, or an actual title fight. And um. Yeah, you know the the title fight seems to not be happening until. I don't know, ever. Yeah. <laughs> and, hey. uh, and the interim, you know, who knows? We agree with you 100% here. Now, uh, let's switch gears a little bit because the, the what-ifs are, are 
are plentiful. Um, but let's talk a little bit about MMA in Australia right now because it, it is a hot time for MMA in Australia, really. Um, you know, with you rising up the rankings, uh, you got Megan Anderson, who's all over the news today. We had her on the show a couple of weeks ago. Tyson Pedro's on a roll. Um, does it feel like MMA in Australia is, is getting bigger than it ever has been? Definitely. You know, MMA in Australia is just growing exponentially, you know, especially with the, the success our local guys have had. Um, you know, myself included, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say uh, we've just helped kick kickstart um, the the sport a little bit, you know, and um, we're showing that a lot of people like, yeah, we can do it from here, <laughs> you know, yeah. and um, I love it. I love it. It's only it's only good. It's only good for the sport that it, that it's growing here. It's only good for the athletes trying to get into the sport that is growing here. And, um, you know, it's a great time for MMA in Australia. Uh, Robert, we really thank you for the time. It was awesome having you on the show again. Uh, and best of luck to you getting that interim title fight. We'll keep our fingers crossed for you. <laughs> 100% so alive. Thank you very much, mate. There you have it, Gumby. Robert Whitaker. Thought it was a really interesting take, too, for him saying, you know, pretty much the same thing Rockhold did in that these fights that people are potentially lining up for him do nothing to his, his value. They do nothing to him getting a title shot. So uh, he's sort of content just to sit there until things get figured out. Yeah, I'm so happy that Dana White called off the GSP fight. It was holding up the division. We talked about it for like 10 minutes last week. It was the right move. But, but let me ask you this. Do you still truly and honestly believe that Bisping's next fight will be Yoel Romero? Uh, I don't honestly believe that. I think Anderson Silva could be in the mix because they love him and he's a name and this is the fight business. Uh, Weidman got paired up with Gastelum. Uh, Musasi is a free agent and probably not returning because Bellator will probably make him a big offer. Could Rockhold maybe get the next shot? What are you thinking? Let me tell you a very odd Conspiracy theory. Here's my conspiracy theory. The next fight for Michael Bisping, and remember that you heard it on Flow Combat's Top Turtle MMA. Dan Henderson. The next fight for Michael Bisping will be George St. Pierre. And the reason that I think the next fight will be George St. Pierre is Dana White coming to the public and saying he is no longer going to get this shot was his way of saying, come on up to International Fight Week and we'll do this. Right, like a negotiation play. And does GSP want to bump it up a couple of months? Hell no, he doesn't. Will GSP do it a couple of months earlier? I think he will. I See, I'm going to disagree with you, though, just because I think GSP is such a robot and used to how he does things in a certain manner. I feel like him saying I got to do it after October was because he has a whole training regimen in his head that he's laid out for the next six months or whatever the, you know what I'm, you I know what I'm so trying too, to say. But if there's, if there's not a title on the line anymore and all of a sudden it's at 170, he's got to fight at 170 or he's got to do something else. Okay, maybe you can't get him to International Fight Week, which is what Dana wanted. That seems But quick. could you get him to August? Yeah, yeah. Could you I get see, him to late August? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so see where you're going. is there a middle ground? Perhaps. Right. But I think that that's what GSP was doing. He was publicly negotiating by saying, well, tough shit, UFC. I'm not going to do anything until after or October. The UFC countered with, well, then we're not just not going to do the fight. Right. Middle ground is, I think they both fight 
in August this summer. Okay, got it. So Gumby is saying the GSP fight is still on. It's I'm just saying GSP is still fighting Bisping, and Connor's not fighting Mayweather. Right, well, that was my next <laughs> news bit, actually, which is that Dana White is claiming him and McGregor have their side of the deal worked out. He now needs to work it out with uh, Mayweather. We're taping this on Sunday, Gumby. Dana White's given like a deadline of the next 24 hours. So by the time this drops, maybe there's a fight announcement, but spoiler alert, there probably is. I'm telling you there's not going to be ever, because Dana White and Connor sitting down in a room saying that they figured out what they want. No shit, they figured out what they want. They both want giant stacks of cash to come their way. Do you know what Mayweather does? Mayweather negotiates fights where he takes home 80 to 90% of the overall purse. There's no way the numbers that Connor in, in the UFC drew up is them divvying up 10 to 20% of the purse or 25% of the purse. There's no way. So to me, them saying that they agreed to something in a room means nothing to me. Mayweather needs to be the one to put the stamp of approval on all of the negotiations. Um, you mentioned I'm, – I'm with you, man. I mean, I think it's going to happen eventually, but is it going to happen with Dana's deadlines and XYZ? No. This is going to drag on for a while. Uh, it's Mayweather and it's McGregor. It's – it's. I'm sick of talking about it. We've been I mean, talking about I mean, it for a year. Boxing people have to be very familiar with this because this is Pacquiao-Mayweather all over again. And how many years did it take them to get what they wanted? Uh, Amanda Nunes versus Valentina Shevchenko, too, is a – Official for UFC 213. That's exciting. Yeah, I mean, I like that fight a lot. I think Shevchenko, I mean, she came pretty close to winning the first time they fought. She, she won that third round. She won that third round, and it, were there a fourth and a fifth round in that fight? Shevchenko would have won. Right. And I think not only would she have won, she would have finished Amanda Nunes. Man, and you also have Jones and Cormier is now official for the same. Yeah, movie. but friend of the show, Jimmy Manawa, will be on the undercard just in case. Is that right? Yeah. They, they, uh, Dana White has said that he will make sure Jimmy Manawa is on the card somewhere fighting somebody just in case. That's very interesting, just in case Jones does Jones, Jones stuff. Cormier blow, blows his knee yeah. out. Something happens. And I should say, Cormier versus Jones, I misspoke, is actually set for uh, UFC 214, mm -hmm. which is on July 29th. Shevchenko and Nunes is headlining uh, UFC Fight Week, which is kind of cool because, you know what? Nunes was actually the main event of Fight Week last year because she ended up in the main event of UFC 200. Yeah. But that's another story for another day. We want to kick it over now to our interview with Volkan Ozdemir, who fights Misha Serkinov at UFC Fight Night 109 uh, at the end of May. This is a critical matchup in the uh, light heavyweight division. These two guys are highly ranked. The division has had a lot of shakeup, a lot of turnover. You have aging guys at the top, and here are two of the most young, exciting fighters, new exciting fighters in the division, fighting each other. Let's hear from Volkan Ozdemir on this fight. It, of course, is brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Head on over to dsgear.com. Enter in promo code TOPTURTLE, all one word. Get yourself a nice little discount. If you do the fight game and you need fight gear, make it hemp. It's super durable. It's antimicrobial. Gosh darn do I recommend it. Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with UFC fighter Volkan Ozdemir. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we have the pleasure of talking to Volkan Ozdemir, who fights Misha Serkinov at Ultimate Fight Night Stockholm on May 28th. Vulcan, we, we talked to you just before your debut earlier this year. In that short period of time, you've gone from a relative unknown to the UFC fans uh, to beating OSP, being ranked in the top five in the world. Describe a little bit of what that roller coaster feels like. It's crazy. You went so fast, but I think I'm still unknown. My fight wasn't, you know, like the most um, 
like a really viewed one. So, I mean, a lot of people also still don't know me. And I, I think I need to, to prove them, you know, also I deserve to be there because uh, I went really fast on the top 10, you know. It's like some people, like some of my teammates, they they have like 10 UFC fights and they're, not, they're just at the gate of top 15, you know. Mm -hmm. So just the division, you know, the, my division is like there is there's not too many people. So I went really fast there and uh, I guess I was lucky, you know, I just, grab the opportunity at the right moment. Let's talk a little bit about that fight with OSP, and we'll, we'll get back to those rankings in the division in a second. So, you know, in that fight with OSP, you told us that you were going to take it to him with your striking and that you're way quicker at 205 than you are when you're at heavyweight. How, how would you assess how well that you did in executing that game plan? Uh, I mean, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to extend with him, you know, and uh, to, to stand and bang, you know, but my cardio didn't go... My, my condition wasn't... a as good as I thought it will be because I guess I, I lose too much sound. So, yeah, it was tough, you know. Um, I I had to drop a lot of weight because my fight wasn't two weeks notice and maybe maybe it didn't, it wasn't planned, you know, it didn't go go as planned, you know, for sure. Absolutely. And and now with, with a full camp under your belt, you know, you obviously don't fight until May 28th. Uh, you know, more time to cut weight, more time to make sure you're feeling right. Uh, is is this a fight you feel much more confident in going into it? Oh yeah, and I'm building that confidence. You know, I put so much hard work into that fight um, so that uh, I really, I really can't lose. You know, like uh, I'm not afraid of anything. You know, uh, all the work I'm doing builds my confidence up, and you know, it's just gonna keep on going like that. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about uh, that work you're putting into. You know, I know you do a lot of work with the Black Zillions. You work with Henry Hoof. Uh, but this fight also takes place in your native Europe. I mean, you're a little bit closer to home. You know, you're from Switzerland. The fight's in, in Stockholm. It would be at least the same time zone here. Is this a fight you're doing a lot of preparing in Florida still, or are you a little bit more towards your home base out in uh, in Europe? No, I'm really happy to be in Europe, you know. I'm glad you didn't mistake that uh, between uh, Sweden and Switzerland, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of people do. But, yeah, I'm finding, like, it's like, I guess it's 90 minutes flight, or maybe two hour flight from back home, and so I got a I got a lot of people coming through, and um, that's good. I, I've been to Sweden like three times already, and I, I love this place. So, so I'm really happy to, to be fighting there, you know. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to so that's crazy already, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, l let's talk a little bit about the top of the division because I know you mentioned it before. The top of your division right now looks as, as probably thin as it has in a while at 205. Uh, how close do you feel that a win over Misha Serkinov would put you in that title contention? If I'm right, I'm 5-7 now. So, But you also have like four UFC fights already, four finish. So he's like, he, I think he's close the belt, you know, maybe closer than me because he has so much fight, but the win against this guy is going to bring me also close to the title. But now John Jones is coming back. Um, I mean, everything's changed so fast in, at 205 those last month. Mm -hmm. Like, we got two, two people who got fired, I think. One who left. Two went, one went to Bellator too. So, you know, like, and one retires for sure, AJ. Yep. So... Like it's crazy, and like there is not too many people anymore. But still, there is those those like four guy, you know, um, mm -hmm. Gustafsson, Glover, and Jimmy. Yep. 
I mean, those guys are the ones closer to the title for sure. But hopefully, within a, a year or so, I'll be I'll be at the gate. Uh, I'll be able to claim that title shot. And, and you're you're certainly close with the uh, win with Misha, as you you mentioned. So l- let's talk a little bit about the the title fight that just happened too. Obviously, AJ. Uh, trains at, at Black Zillions with Hoof from time to time. So, you know, you've likely crossed paths. What did you think about the fight? It was certainly one that people found weird. And, you know, it being in your division, these are potential opponents that you're watching. Agent fight, he came there, he fought, he fought well, I guess. I don't know, some people say he should not have wrestled, but, hey, like, he, he had his game plan, he knew what he was about to do, but at the end of the day, sometimes it doesn't go as planned. And um, and DC like won the fight. So um, DC is good, you know. He's grinding. He's grinding hard. He's wrestling you. He tear you down, and then he, he choke you or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he's 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 an athlete. He's a good guy. So you know, DC is really strong. So you know, like I don't know what to say about that fight. It's just a fight, you know. But also, I think maybe when you when you plan on retiring, maybe you don't enter the fight as, you know, uh, hot-headed as, as you should be. Yeah, and that, that's certainly a criticism that's going around. Let's switch a little bit to your fight now. You're fighting Misha Serkinov. You've mentioned he's got, a, he's got a whole bunch of finishes in the UFC so far. Uh, he is ranked a little bit behind you, but what challenges does somebody like Misha Serkinov bring to uh, somebody like you who's a little bit, definitely a much different fighter than OSP? Oh yeah, totally. Like OSP is an athlete. He's strong. He's really he has a lot of strength, you know. And uh, he, he fights. I mean, move forward. He's, he's, you know, and Misha is really technical. Even in his um, striking, he's technical. And uh, he has a he's a judo and jiu-jitsu black belt. I think he he's a thinker too. So yeah, it's a, it's gonna be a, a really different game. So we'll see. Last time you uh, you talked to us before the OSP fight, you know your prediction was pretty much right on that you were gonna get in his face, you were gonna touch him with the striking, uh, and that you would you would have a better gas tank than him. So you're pretty right on with your prediction last time. How about one more prediction for us on how this fight with Serkinov goes? Uh, it's gonna be a knockout for sure. I'm training really really right now. I'm training really hard too, and. Uh, I'm improving in every aspect right now, and I'm really focused on my training, so I'm, I'm really confident right now. All right, well, couldn't be more excited for the fight now. Uh, you predicted right on the OSP fight, now you're predicting a knockout, and uh, Misha Serkinov, obviously a streaking light heavyweight himself at 4-0 in the UFC. You're now ranked 5. It's a very exciting matchup. Uh, Vulcan fights Misha Serkinov at Ultimate Fight Night Stockholm, which is the end of May, May 28th. Vulcan, thanks so much for the time with us, and best of luck in that fight. Thank you so much. There you have it, Gumby, Vulcan Ozdemir. Yeah, and this is probably one of the higher-ranked matchups in which the casual MMA fan most likely doesn't know too much about Vulcan Ozdemir or Misha Serkinov, but they're ranked 5 and 7. But here's the ridiculous part. Ozdemir is ranked 5th. He's 1-0 in the UFC. Serkinov has looked nothing short of dominant, is 4-0 in the UFC. He's ranked 7th. This is why the UFC rankings are a freaking joke, because Misha was in a contract dispute for like a couple of months, got taken out of the rankings, I believe. Yeah, he was not ranked for a second. And so Ozdemir on a short-notice fight where he surprised OSP and beat him, I, this is that, that being said, very, very interesting fight with OSP there, in which he definitely deserved the win. 
But you're right. In that sense, think about what, what Serkinov has done in those fights. I mean, he made Nikita Krylov look like an absolute bitch. You know, nothing short of that. He's looked completely dominant in four fights. Ozdemir won a very close fight with OSP. You know, I, I've been critic of those rankings since they came out. I don't know who votes on them. I know you can use the little drop-down menu and see all the rankings. They're not done right. Uh, Misha Serkinov is a top five light heavyweight for well, sure. Well, hopefully, you know what? I, I like both guys, but let's just say Misha Serkinov wins that fight. And maybe if he does it without any damage, he could do a quick turnaround and fight like a Jimmy Manawa oh, in a God, number one contender's that, fight. That fight would be absolute violence. Bananas. That'd be so great. All right. This has been Top Turtle MMA podcast thank you so much for listening we of course are available on flow combat tune and stitcher soundcloud itunes wherever a podcast is being streamed feel free to email the show we're accepting both love and hate mail top turtle mma at gmail and follow the show at top turtle mma on twitter you could search for us on facebook there gumby does a phenomenal job with our facebook uh page and i am david tremonti and he is daniel gumby vreeland the ufc is in a lull again this weekend no fights but we will be back next week previewing ufc stockholm fights we are very excited about. Thanks so much for listening.